Hey, this is Sailor. Welcome to another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Hello. You know, I don't get to say this often, but ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) How's it going tonight, everybody? Oh, it's going great. What's up, Sailor? Awesome. We have a guest. We have a guest, you guys. uh, Dear friend of the show and friend of mine. Uh, Miss Britt Lightning is back to hang out with us and talk about whiskey and talk about the band and albums of the evening. How you doing, Britt? I'm great. Great to be with you guys again. Thanks for having me. We are excited to have you back. And uh, I'm super excited to talk about our subject of the evening um, because you will be able to tell some personal stories or in-person stories, at least about one of the band members. Um, but first, of course, we'll talk a little bit about whiskey. But before we do that, Matt, I know there are some things you want to say about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, I mean, when do we never have when, when do we when is there a lack of material to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I feel like it's just news all year round now, which pisses me off even more because they don't deserve to have it, that much. It attention. is, and, and and it's never good news. It's never no. good news. No, it's never good no. news. No, uh, but if there's if there's news that happened since the last time we talked about it, I'm not aware of it. So, well, because, oh, yeah, because I know with Dolly and, and everything yeah. that happened with Dolly, yeah. They inducted her anyway, which yeah, I kind of okay. think was fucked because she was like, "No, thank you." <laughs> you're going in and you're gonna like it okay if they could be any more pieces of shit um yeah um there's a couple things that i wanted to talk about with so like current news so you guys know that another friend of the show d snyder not really but kind of we're twitter friends um so a couple years ago i started follow i don't know how it happened i started following him on twitter and um noticed that during the period from 2016 to now he has been very outspoken politically and um very supportive especially right now of uh women's rights and what's going on right now um, very against racism and a lot of the disgusting things that are happening around the world. And there are some other people on Twitter, really shockingly, not shockingly, I should say. Um, so I guess I'll ask you guys. So there, there's this group of like, what do you, what do I want to say? Like social justice warriors that kind of emerged and became friends, although they are all famous musicians, but because of um, a lot of their stances they were taking on Twitter and some of the constant, like shut up and just play music baloney. So whatever your opinion is, you have the right to voice, voice it, of course, as long as you're not being hateful to others, but just so much of the, you know, shut your mouth. How dare you speak out publicly and be a human being outside of your band kind of situation. And there's a few people that emerged. And so I wonder if you guys know who D. Snyder became friends with um, in the past year because of his Twitter feuds. 
I can't even venture a guess. <laughs> I don't know. So Richard Marks is one of them. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, we've Richard. talked about Richard before. Yeah, so you yeah. guys know he's like my favorite account to follow now. His use of profanity is probably the most impressive shit I have ever read in my entire life. And he has coming, a writer. Come, well, <laughs> he's a creative writer, let's say. <laughs> More than lyrically. Just someone I just never would assume, and just goes to show you shouldn't judge a book by their cover, would have never assumed Richard Marks would be someone to... the His, his level of... What should I, how should I say this? Just the way he uses profanity is probably some of the most amazing shit I've ever seen. So recently him and Rich, uh, D Snyder had the opportunity to meet in person and, and, and take a picture together as friends and comrades in the fight of being able to, you know, have free speech and use your profanities on social media and also uh, voice your own beliefs and opinions and points of view as a human other than as an artist. So oh, they, um, uh, a musical collab would be cool. <laughs> can okay, you imagine? <laughs> That'd be fucking great. <laughs> That'd be really fucking great. Um, so yeah, that's enough of, of the news, I guess. I guess we're still saying, you know, fuck the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Still love you, D. Snyder. Um, why don't we talk about whiskey? Hey, I'm always ready to talk about whiskey. Always. Mm-hmm. Any excuse to drink on a Monday. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a little teaser into what our subject will be. But, 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 before we do that, what's in your glass, everybody? Ladies first. All right. I actually don't have anything that exciting at the moment. I went for Legion that I just had that I wanted to finish because it's almost done. And I have some other bottles I wanted to put up on my bar. But I do like this for like a basic, just, you know, affordable Easy drink. Do you like this one? Have you guys had this? I haven't had it, but it's very interesting. Um, I've heard about that. Isn't that, uh, what's that one of Freddie Knows project? I think, I think so, yeah. But <laughs> I've had, yeah. I had it when it was first released, but I don't really remember too much about it. I remember liking it, though. It's good. It's really, it's good, really good. Yeah. I actually had it at a bar up the street here for the first time, and I was like, oh, we'll try it. And then I was like, oh, I would buy that. It's an, it's an easy, really smooth finish. But I did want to mention one whiskey that I had somewhat recently um, at a bar in the Ozarks when I was uh-huh. playing. Oh. And this, it was a cigar bar, cigar bourbon bar. And I guess this is only available in Kentucky to buy. Like they don't sell it anywhere else. You actually have to go there and get it. 
and it is called Lux Row. Have you guys ever heard of that? Oh yeah, Lux Row. That they've got a huge distillery. Yeah, I, I tried. Kentucky. I don't know which one this was. I took a picture of it, but it's pretty blurry because I drank a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> but it was <laughs> it was really good. But that was my first time trying that. Um, and they yeah, did. Lux Row is really good. Yeah. So yeah, that, they make lots of good whiskeys. Sure. I don't have yeah, that, that for the Legion. <laughs> that Legion is um, it's Fred No and Shinji Fuko. So they're marrying the styles of a traditional bourbon and um, Japanese uh, whiskey, and it's it's aged in sherry sherry casks, I believe. Yes, yes, that's what the one is. Yeah. Oh, that yeah, sounds I amazing. Tasted it a long time ago at like a big whiskey. Th not can't be that long ago. Anyway, some time ago, and I I should go back to it. So it's thanks nice. for the reminder. It's, yeah, I really like it. It's a good one. Cheers. What's the proof on that? Do you know? 94. 94? Okay. Yeah. Not too crazy, but still it's got a little bit of heat to it. Yeah. yeah. Good. Awesome. Well, I am going to give a shout out to our Australian brothers. Um, in specific, Adrian. Um, he sent me a lot of samples a long time ago, and I don't remember what something kept happening every time I was going to taste them. I probably got sick a million times. I don't know. Um, and so I finally uh, got to, I pulled them all out, went back to his notes, because um, some were labeled and some just say one, two, and three. And I'm like, oh, shit, did I do that? Because that's something I totally do. As a matter of fact, <laughs> Britt, that whole lineup I sent you. Yeah. I don't think I ever told you what it was, what any of it was. No, no. That's why I'm like, okay, and I still have them. I'm waiting to play, taste them. I would have had one tonight, but I was like, well, I can't talk about this. I don't know what <laughs> All right. Let's let's me and you do that for the YouTube channel one time. We'll just go through and taste them all. Oh, my God. I love it. Uh, I can't believe I haven't even cheated. I haven't even gone into them. I'm that's like, impressive. I that's know. a real blind tasting. That is a real blind tasting. <laughs> Oh shit. Well, luckily this one was labeled so this I could grab this one really quick. So this is a um malt rye whiskey from Australia. It's from Sydney in specific. Um from Archie Rose Distilling Company. Um and it won the world's best rye whiskey at the World Whiskey Awards in 2020. So yeah. good job there, fellas. Um this is a 46% and I'll tell you, when I first pulled it out of the tasting bottle, I was like, whoa, what is this nose? It was really, really tough. And I put it in a big open glass. So I just let it sit there for a while and kind of hang out and ch chill out. And then I split it so that I could add water, a little bit of water to one um, glass and then just leave the other neat. And um, it got really interesting when it opened up. I don't know that I've ever had a nose like this before. So my notes, I said sweet chocolate nose, which I don't even know what I mean by that. But I remember just, it, yeah, kind of like when you walk into, um, if you've walked into a place that makes chocolate and it's like really hot in there and you can smell the chocolate, it's kind of mm -hmm. like what I was smelling. Um, and then you get baked biscuits and rye crackers together. So there's like this sweet smell going on, 
And then there's like this spiciness that I couldn't really put my fingers on. And so, you know, I went back to the nose several times after tasting it. So um, it's not like a pure nosing. So the first couple sips was just the first thing I wrote down was very heavenly savory flavors. So I got savory right away. It's a little bit bitey on the front, but then it calmed down like mid palate. And all of a sudden, kind of like when I poured it in the glass, it just started to open up on my palate. So I got juicy stone fruits and raisins. Mm -hmm. And even though I said juicy stone fruit, because it's really that difference in smell, it's still a dry whiskey, which, you know, you expect from rye. And then the spice came right back. And it kind of goes like similar to the nose, like sweet, spicy, sweet, spicy. And so it's just layers and layers. It's very, very complex. Then I got molasses and dark chocolate, ginger and baking spices. And then right at the end of the finish, I got this bitterness that came in and I almost thought, ooh, it's, this is really bitter. But then I started to salivate and the sweetness came back. So it's just really, really interesting. Um, if you can find a bottle, I don't know what their distribution is like. I would highly recommend it. I was just really impressed with this. It's very interesting. I can see why it would win a top award. It's very unique. It's unlike any other rye I've ever tasted for sure. What so. did you say it was called one more time? Archie Rose Rye Archie. Malt. That's right. I okay. mean, you had you had me all the way back at biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> all the other stuff is just a plus. That's awesome. I love biscuits. Yeah. I, biscuits. Baked biscuits is not a, a common tasting note of no, mine, I'll tell that's you. Why, that's why you had me at it. That's not that's at all. Very <laughs> unique. Nor is juicy stone fruit for that matter. I usually get dried stone fruits. You know, like in a um, in a Scottish single malt or an Irish single malt, I always get that like fruit basket, but it's always dried fruit. This was definitely juicy fruit, which was really confusing me because it's a very dry rye whiskey. But as I'm talking now, I just took a sip. Now I'm saliv. You salivate like at the end of the sip, which is so weird because it should be dry. So I don't know. It's. <laughs> It's, I hate to use the pun, but it kind of turned the world upside down oh. from Australia. <laughs> they make some interesting whiskeys, that's for sure. They they certainly they, do. So it's, I read that it's aged in American oak, um, but they, they season their oak and they season it in the open air. So I think that's where... It's interesting because I don't get any brine or salinity, but I think that's where some of that cracker comes from. That that might be how I'm reading that, you know, ocean air, that salinity in the air. So those are my notes. So thank you again, Adrian, so much. I appreciate um, being able to taste such an interesting and beautiful whiskey. Yeah. Also, another one of our uh, Australian friends, Vic, happened to send me this t-shirt oh yeah wild river. wild river distillery <laughs> remember talking about that uh yeah he said he did try to send me a bottle but customs returned it to him Bastards. so <laughs> so he did man he did manage to get me some a t-shirt and some tim tams but he says uh it's a good tim we'll try again in the future where the hell are I guess. my tim tams <laughs> i forgot my damn tim tams shit <sighs> i froze some the last batch Adrian sent me. I froze them. <laughs> Do you know what these are, Brit Tim Tams? 
No. Oh my god. Okay. Oh. Pause. I'm gonna go get some. Hold on. <laughs> Deliciousness. It's like the official Australian cookie. Oh, okay. I still haven't been to Australia. That's like one of the ones left on the list. So. I've only heard about these. I've never tasted them myself, so I'm just taking their word for it. Okay. Yeah, and Vic's and Adrian's. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. Try to imagine two rectangular, like maybe like shortbread crackers, something like that, sandwiched uh, with like chocolate in the middle and a chocolate cover. Okay, so there's really nothing like it's. I really can't compare it to anything we have in yeah. the states. They okay. have tons. He sent me a picture, like what he was buying them for me one day, and we're on Instagram, and he's sending me pictures like, "What flavor do you want?" I'm like, "I don't know what my choices are. My favorite is the salted double chocolate." Wow. So, I think so it's it's like a biscuit. Oh, but Britt, you have to go on YouTube. And you have to look at the Tim Tam challenge, and I promise we'll do it one day. <laughs> and when you're back home, we'll do it. Okay. So, they're so freaking delicious. Yeah, it's like the Australians, not not that they're comparable as a cookie, but as their popularity. You know, the way Oreos are popular over here, that's kind of yeah. the way Tim Tams are. You know, they have all the different flavors and stuff. But anyway. Oh my God, that's so good. I will have really good whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Uh, yeah, they're yeah. really good with whiskey. <laughs> Fuck yeah. All right, guys, what about you? What, what do you guys right. have in your glass? Go ahead. All right. I'm drinking something a little more local um, here, actually, as in just a few miles away from where I sit. So I got this. Uh, it's called Still 630 Rally Point Straight Rye Whiskey from uh, Still 360 in St. Louis. I attempted to, to uh, visit the distillery today, but unfortunately they were closed. I stopped by and uh, talked to the guy there for a couple of minutes. Uh, he invited me to come back on the weekend, but unfortunately I will not be here then. But um, I stopped by the local liquor store here and found this. And um, it's a 90 proof. Um, and this is anything more I can really say about it. It's oh, it's 90% rye and 10% barley. So, and it doesn't have an age statement on it, uh, but it is straight. So, you know, we're now at least two years in there. So, but I'm at first I opened it up and I wasn't too sure about it. And Sailor, I think it's like you were saying about the other one. You just got to give it some time to kind of air out a little bit and open up. But uh, this is really growing on me. The nose is very, it's very sweet on the nose, very, uh, very caramely on the nose. Uh, but when you taste it, it gets a little more savory. Like, um, it's still got a little bit of caramel note, but it really comes in with like a, um, like a nuttiness, like a toasted pecan in there, which is really nice. And um, you still can and taste some of those oak oak notes in there too. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a fan. It's not bad. It's kind of awesome now that you can travel around the country and find like really quality whiskey now. Yes. You know that so many of the distilleries, that's why I keep telling people, you know, you've got to support your local hometown distillery. If you don't like what they have on offer right now, keep going back, go back every year and check on them again, taste again. 
give them time that you know it's it's really a difficult business give them time to develop to learn their processes to to really hone their their you know their products and they need time to age and I mean, I think it's getting more and more common for people to also have a bottle of their local whiskey on the shelf as well, um, which I'm so happy to see. And Mm -hmm. Matt, we're finally getting more distilleries in our state as well. There's like 10 new distilleries that are have been announced in the past like couple months in the news. So that's exciting. Yes, it is. Florida has been very behind the times in that respect. For distilleries, yeah. I mean, they've always been sort of near the forefront as sort of uh, as far as beer goes, but they are starting to sort of close the gap with distilleries. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What are you drinking tonight, Matt? Well, what I'm drinking actually has been in the news lately. Uh, if you have seen that they found Ernest Shackleton's ship in Antarctica recently on an expedition anybody know the story of shackleton no okay i'm not i'm not going to get into the weeds on it because it is a long story but it's a fantastic story so if you have time to look it up and read about ernest shackleton and just his life and this particular journey he took to antarctica uh on um i guess it was just an expedition to map the land or something like that and uh, long story short, he brought some whiskey with him. It was lost. And in 2007, some uh, archaeologists or something found the whiskey and White and McKay, uh, which is a, a whiskey producing company, actually was able to acquire some samples of it and uh, reproduce it or try to reproduce the whiskey that had been found that had been in the ice for 100 years. Um, so Shackleton was what I'm drinking right now is sort of the brainchild of White McKay and Richard Patterson, who blended this. This is a blended malt. It's not a single malt. Um, and tried to duplicate the taste of that original whiskey that was taken out of the ice that had been there for over 100 years. So the reason why I was in the news is that they actually found the original ship that Shackleton had sailed to Antarctica on after being in the ice for since 1907. So fantastic story. The guy is... Uh, an amazing human, everything that he had been through at that time and being able to survive uh, after being stranded in Antarctica, basically for, for months with his crew and nobody died. So it's an amazing story of survival. And then we get this great whiskey from it. Uh, But this whiskey is pretty, pretty unique for me, at least for the style wise, blended malt is kind of a happy purgatory between blended scotch and single malt scotch. Basically, it's a blend of single malts without that green whiskey base. Green whiskey is pretty cheap uh, to use, and a lot of your blends use that, your Johnny Walkers, your Dwarves. Uh, but this is just a blend of single malts from different Speyside distilleries. Um, and it's very unique because the main tasting notes that I get on this are actually brown sugar and cinnamon, which to me, when I think of brown sugar and cinnamon, I think American whiskey. I don't necessarily think of scotch whiskey. Mm -hmm. So that's the prevalent flavor profile. And then with any great blended malt, there's always that little smoky backbone on the end. So you get that little bit of, you know, peat smoke on the back end, which is just a a telltale sign of a great blended malt. And of course, Richard Patterson, Patterson's one of the best in the biz. And he hits another home run with this one. It's been around for a little while. It's my first time tasting it. And, Really, really enjoying it. So it's been my everyday sipper recently. 
That is so interesting. I've been wondering if it was going to be just, I'll tell you when I first read about it, I didn't know it was Richard Patterson or I would have just been like, done, I'm buying it, I'm drinking it. He's just like, can do no wrong. But I went, ah, it's really gimmicky, you know? Well, that was the only reason I bought it because I knew he was behind it. And Ah, uh, because I'm not big on the gimmicks, you know that. Yeah, Um, no. You know, at least in whiskey anyway. It kind of reminds me in, re- in wrestling. I am, but not, not in wrestling. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of when I um, kind of how I felt when Metallica announced they were announcing their whiskey. Oh yeah, we should. But all then I it. found out that Dave Pickerel was behind it. Yeah, like, okay, exactly. I'm in. Oh yeah, we crapped. If you we, we go back to the episodes when that was re- announced before they released the first bottle, we shit all over it, and then we found out it was Pickerel. We were like, okay. Let me amend my statement. <laughs> if you can get a name behind your whiskey, it doesn't matter how gimmicky it is. Yeah. If, there, if you have that name that can draw the real whiskey enthusiast to your product, that's it. But it's got to be good in the bottle, too. Well, of course. I mean, that's, I mean, that yeah. goes without saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. You know, the person, if the person behind it, you know, you certain people at Dave Pickerel will not put out crap. You know that. Yeah, if they have the pedigree and the resume, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, as long as they're really in charge, though. Of course. All right. Well, that was fun. I'm going to take another sip of my whiskey, and then we're going to get into a very fun discussion about, um, I guess, you guys, are we returning to our (laughs) hair metal series? Yes. (laughs) Are we (laughs) Are we finally returning to our hair metal? Depends on if you consider them hair metal. Oh, we're going to talk about that, Matt. We're going to talk about that. (laughs) With a capital H. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about Skid Row. And um, of course, we're going to end up talking about Brit's friend Sebastian Bach a bit because how do you talk about the band without talking about, oh boy, one of the most, definitely one of the most popular or should I say most famous singers, rock singers from the 80s. Um, and and definitely in the camp of a colorful personality, shall we say? <laughs> and I I would like to say that he grew out of it as he got older, but I do remember. I don't know if you guys uh, watched the what the heck was it called where they all lived in the house? Remember oh. he? Oh, what was that yes. show called? It was on MTV or VH1. Why can't I think? Uh, I know what you're talking about. But I remember he was on with, it's going to be one of these nights where it's going to be a lot of what's his face. I don't know what's wrong with my brain. What's his face? Snyder was on that, wasn't he? I don't, I don't know, but maybe, but 
um, what's his face from Anthrax was on the same one with Sebastian Bach. And that's where he ended up meeting his wife, not Sebastian Bach. What's his face from Anthrax? Um, and thank you. Yes. <laughs> and I remember watching it going, oh, he didn't grow out of his shenanigans. But then he was on TV. So mm, I don't know. But we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Um, <clears throat> let's just start off with the basics in case you live under a rock and you don't know what the fuck we're talking about. The band Skid Row, not the street or area in L.A., was formed in 1986 in Tom's River, New Jersey. Um, and Sebastian Bach was recruited to be the lead singer at 18 years of age. He was a young feller. And um, does anybody know the ties between Bon Jovi and Skid Row? Bon Jovi and Skid Row. Didn't he suggest, didn't Bon Jovi suggest Sebastian to the other guys in the band to be their singer? Yes. So, um, like that. Yeah. Dave um, Savo, the guitarist for. Uh, Skid Row was very, very good friends with John Bon Jovi. They grew up together. And so um, I guess Sebastian was singing at a wedding, a famous uh, rock photographer's wedding, and everybody was like, oh, yeah, this guy. And so <laughs> <laughs> they introduced him, and he said yes, of course. Um, and they became Skid Row. Um, but that story is mingles for a long time, and then there's controversy, and we'll talk about that. <laughs> later but apparently there's a there's a legend out there that um either management or the recording company not sure had to pay thirty five thousand dollars um to purchase the name skid row from an irish band um who had already published under the name skid row so you know quite oh, a beginning it was the surreal life the surreal life, thank yeah. you. Yes. The surreal the life. Yes. Oh my gosh. The surreal life was some of the most interesting um fishbowl life isn't I've ever like, Isn't that how Flavor Flav yes. and Bridget Nielsen got together? Yes. <laughs> I think. Yes. Yeah. And know. um what's her face? Who was the first uh supermodel she considered she was or was considered i don't really know um and tammy faye baker oh yeah uh, the surreal life actually changed her entire life and parted her thinking from some of the very homophobic and racist thinking that she had indoctrinated in her from you know being married as a and this like really creepy church that happened on because of this real life so just really really interesting definitely go back and watch those the one with flavor flav and uh, brigitte nielsen was fucking nuts <laughs> if those two people are really those people they are fucking nuts but you never know um all right so we're gonna talk about two of skid rose albums and um let's start with their debut album skid row um i think that's their most popular album but we'll get into that um it was released in january of 1989 um and michael wagoner produced the album um I never knew, like, I know a lot about this guy because of he worked, he's worked with everybody, but he was the original guitarist for the band Accept, which I never knew. 
<laughs> so um, he also produced the first Dokken album, and he was the one who mixed Master of Puppets. And um, also Vixen. That I did not know. And Vixen. I was just going to say. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Yes. And Janet Jackson and Ozzy Osbourne and Motley Crue and Poison and Keel and Overkill and Wasp and Great Way. That goes on and on. Like and on the resume. And on. He has had an incredible, incredible resume. Um, what I found interesting is if, if you ever want to go down a really cool rabbit hole, look him up. Um, online and read about his comments as to why he thinks he was a successful producer. And he talks a lot about psychology. And I found that to be really, really interesting, talking about the psychology of it and having to, um, you know, be in a certain place and get the musicians into in a certain place to get what you want out of them, or to find out what it is that they want and what they think their sound is or what you think their sound should be um really interesting to go down that rabbit hole um so they released their first album and they're touring with bon jovi of course and aerosmith as opening acts and i find this to be i think this is proof of what a tiny little world it was back in 89 because their album peaked at number six on the Billboard 200, okay? It was certified five times platinum just about five years later. The, and they're playing as an opening act. <laughs> I Like, their album peaked at number six, hey, especially at that time for hard music. I saw them open for Van Halen. And um, uh, it must have been around, it was when Van, was, Van Halen was touring for their balance. Um, Damn, album that's amazing. that was yeah I, all i can tell uh, you is yeah sebastian Bach's stage presence is like i you could be 500 feet away and he you feel like he was there in your face oh yeah i mean he was amazing really loud. <laughs> yes um so Britt, you had the opportunity to hang out with mr bach recently i did <laughs> <laughs> Yes, he's. I love that guy. He is amazing. I mean, not only as you mentioned, is he an incredible singer, but frontman. And we actually with Vixen, we play some shows with him too. And I remember just one, you know, example of how he's just you. The show must go on and everything. We were having the fires up in in California here, and, and his house was like in the evacuation zone. And mm. he had just gotten off phone with his wife and his family, and they're like having to move stuff out, and it was so stressful. And then he gets on stage right after he hangs up the phone and just brings it. I mean, there's no, you know, just just such a pro, just such a performer. Wow. Yeah, he's amazing. amazing. There's this really great shot that you put on your Instagram, <laughs> and I made. <laughs> I made a comment on it and I knew you were laughing when I made the shot. I was cracking up. So there's there's a bunch of you on stage because it, it's at the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. And, you know, there's a, a row of people. <laughs> the only person's hair who is blowing in the breeze, like there's a fan directed just at him, is Sebastian. And so I said, like, so his hair just is always blowing in the breeze naturally. <laughs> <You> <laughs> Yes, because he looks that way in every picture. Unless it's some 
some post, you know, editing app that you can just <laughs> go like that. Blow someone's hair back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> but he is awesome. And, you know, and actually when we performed the final show with him at that camp, it was his birthday and we did it in Vegas where he's living now. And so it was a total party. And um, usually we have like a set jam list at the end of the night. And he was just, it, it was even way cooler than it normally is because he was like, screw the list. This is my birthday. I want to play this song with this person. And it, like Vinny Apice was on drums. He was like, it's just calling out Sabbath songs. And it was just almost like being in his living room with him, just hanging out and partying. And That's there was so cool. no script and it was so much fun. He even got his kids up on stage to play with us. It was really, it was fun. Oh, that sounds like a blast. That sounds like <laughs> he sounds like he and seems like he'd be a very fun person. Um, and again, you know, depending on what he's like in front of the camera and behind the camera, <laughs> as long as you can relax a little bit for a little while in between <laughs> the energy. He seems yeah, like he has a, a lot, lot of, of energy. energy. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I Yeah, he, he sure is. Especially <laughs> at his age now. He's got to be in his what is he in his mid 50s now? He's got to be. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm almost 50, so he's got to be. Yeah. Well, hats off to him. I don't have that much energy. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> or fans off to him. Yeah. He's 54. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I knew he was a couple years older than me. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> this first album that is their debut um, generated four singles and all four singles are some of their biggest hits. Youth Gone Wild. 18 in Life, I Remember You, and Peace of Me. Also, only Ed and I will remember, super, super heavy MTV rotation. Like, you could not get away from this band on the radio and on MTV. I was just about to say, that's how I first discovered uh, Skid Row. I think it was it must have been on Hairbanger's Ball. In the yeah, evening. probably. Yes. And it was... Um, 89. So yeah, that would have been my uh, sophomore year of college. I was still living at home going to school. And that came on. And it was, uh, which one was it? I think it was 18 in life. And I was like, whoa, who mm -hmm. is this band? This is amazing. <laughs> this guy's voice is just like nothing I've ever heard before. And uh, that I was hooked from there. And I think I just went out probably the next day and got that album or ordered it from my music club or whatever it was at the time, you know, and God, and I still got it today. And I've listened to the album, you know, probably hundreds of times, if not thousands. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was a really big deal back then. I mean, again, it's, we often have this problem on the show because it's difficult to make people understand the lack of hard music that you had on the radio and on TV and that was accessible. And, and frankly, you know, it's 1989, you know, we don't have a hundred metal bands at the time that are, you know, accessible to us. So they sounded like a very heavy band then. And, um, same when I first heard them, which was probably the same thing at on headbangers ball, I watched it religiously um, and then I'd have to have my pen and paper to write down so you didn't forget. That's how I discovered yep. Soundgarden. And you always had to write it down. Okay. This is, I mean, it was great for marketing and sales. Jesus. <laughs> Either that or press record on your VHS. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Um, so, yeah. So I just remember, yeah, same thing. His voice being like, holy shit, this guy's voice. So, um yeah, so what do you guys think, um, Britt and Matt, about this album? 
one of my favorite albums ever. I mean, definitely. I think it is their best album. Love the whole album. There's not one like weak song on it. You can, mm-hmm. you never have to skip a track. I mean, I think it's, I, it's, I think it's one of the best albums. Skid Row is one of my favorite bands um, ever. I mean, they just are still, you know? So, yeah, I love it. I mean, I think it's, there's just big hooks. There's big grooves. It's, it's, it's heavy, but it's groovy. You know, it's not like, and, and, and vocally, you know, it would be heavier if the vocals were like that cookie monster stuff. And that's like the worst. Like I love Sebastian's voice. You know, like, because the music could be heavy, but it, it almost is, can be poppy too because of the big hooks that you can sing along to and of yeah. course the guitars are amazing scotty hill and snake are two of my favorite guitar players and they work together so well but um there's definitely like a i think a um formula you know in each song it's like mm-hmm. you know they're they're formulated to sound like hits but it works because they were hits oh yeah without his voice can you imagine i mean i'm and i that's not a diss to the musicians at, at all but sometimes there just is that one last element, right? That just makes them superpowers. Yeah. That's, yeah. You bring up a great point, Sailor. And I was thinking about that when I was listening to both these albums preparing for the show. I was like, really? The band is solid. I'm not going to take anything away from the band. But the only thing that really makes them stand out from the crowd is Sebastian Bach's vocals. I mean, because there are a lot of bands out know, there. Though. I don't know if I agree That's with that. That's my opinion. Well, and the writing, though, because I think it has a lot to the do writing with writing. You're only yeah. as good as the song is, too, really. If, if you can't stand the song, who cares if the vocalist shreds, you know? Yeah, I mean, lyrically, I mean, if you just think of 18 in life, it's, I mean, all of their oh, yeah. songs are super poetic, very clever. Um, but also, like, the musicality of the band, I don't, what I think... I would disagree. I think they would have still become a very, very popular, long-lasting, well-known band from the 80s. I just don't think they would have achieved the super status without Sebastian. But Mm -hmm. I definitely think they would have still been very successful. But his voice was definitely elevated them to super status, in my opinion. And I think at that time, too, you had to have a little bit of shock value. Like, you know, you had people like Poison dressing like women. You had Motley Crue that was kind of you know, extreme and, and like real bad boy gang and, uh, you know, kiss and all things like that. So you had to have something a little crazy to attract the attention. Mm-hmm. Sebastian was definitely that for that band. Yeah. Well, and not to mention he was very pretty to look at and that <laughs> definitely helped. I remember every, every chick I knew, uh, and even the, the dudes would be like, damn, man, I gotta give it to him. He's a handsome guy. Oh, <laughs> That hair. That doesn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Matt? Well, as you guys know from past episodes about bands of of similar ilk, if I should say that, I I have a tendency to be a little overcritical sometimes. Uh, I think it's a byproduct of what we do on this show. But uh, it's also just the habits of how I listen to music, too. But I will say that when an album, when I listen to an album, and this is my first time listening to this album, by the way, from front to back, I've heard, I've heard the hits, obviously, but the entire album, first time. So newbie here. But when I can forget about all of the critical stuff and I can really get into the music and enjoy it and get into the flow of how an album is laid out, 
and the grooves and all of the great technical um, words that Britt used, all of that great stuff, um, being a musician herself. Um, it's, it's fantastic. It's awesome. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I will second everything that everyone said about Sebastian, but I will add one thing to the mix that I think gets overlooked a little bit, and that is New Jersey. They're from New Jersey, and I think that they that that there is a certain extra edginess to bands like this that come out of New Jersey that get compared to bands that come out of California, and mm-hmm. I think that they want to separate themselves from those other bands that came out of California or the glam scene or the hair metal scene or whatever subgenre you want to use for those other bands that we've talked about on the show. Um, and I think Sebastian gives them that. And I think that they have a groove and a sound that separates them from all of their other contemporaries. Uh, and I think that New Jersey factor, sort of that, that outsider factor um, gives them that as well. And that's what I love about it. This album is fantastic. It's interesting you bring yeah. that up, Matt, because <clears throat> first I was going to disagree with you. Because I don't know if I was thinking of it in like a economical context, but I think I know what you're saying. I think I'm going to agree now. I think there was just a much, there was like just a stripped down more raw sense coming from bands in the Northeast at the time, as opposed to your California bands. And I'm even going to say that about your San Francisco, your Bay area bands, there is still something a little bit more raw when you, when you come out of the Northeast, I think it felt more raw in the world at the time as well. Strangely, you know? Um, So I think I get that. I think, I think, that is yeah another like spice in the mix of the sauce you know that super sauce that makes that band is that not only did they have okay they had the pretty front man just like bon jovi um but that wasn't what they were relying on and they were they could still be that like beer drinking smash your can against your head you know, working class, blue collar, yeah, fuck yeah, rock music. Correct. Bands. And I think and I think that's what separates them. There's a lot of you read periodicals and there's a lot of comparisons to them and Bon Jovi because mm-hmm. of their history and mm-hmm. because of where they came from. But to me, I don't see any I don't see any real parallels between the two bands. You know what I'm saying? Because I think that beer smashing, you know, beer chugging thing, I think that that's more skid row more bad yes. boy than Bon yeah. Jovi. And yeah. we've talked bon- about Bon Jovi before on the show. Um, I won't say bon anything Jovi else. Bon Jovi is definitely a little more polished. Yeah. And not as rough around the edges. Correct. Uh, yeah. But they're more... To their advantage, though, I think it's a good thing. It's a good rough around the edges. Yeah, but they're more stripped down than like a Motley Crue, I think, in mm. my opinion. Motley Crue had, you know, they, they had a... Pers- they developed a persona and they created this... You know, like you said, but like this gang, like, you know, we're this like L.A. street gang but with makeup on, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's definitely I think. Yeah, I think especially in the 80s, Jersey rock music, there was definitely a time. It was definitely a place. I think without that, again, that may have just been another element that they could have they would have had a very different sound had they come out of somewhere else. I think you're absolutely right, Matt. I, mm. I think that's a really interesting perspective. And I think the scene was in, in LA, so they really had something to prove. So they had to bring it, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, 
bands from the Northeast, it, they all got overlooked. It was oh, your yeah. LA bands. It was your San Francisco bands. You know, everybody else for the most part was being overlooked. They had to fight so much harder. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we talked about to, D yeah. Snyder twisted sister. It blows my fucking mind when you look at how short lived they were as a recorded band and, and how hard they had to fight and how long they had to wait. Like, are you fucking kidding me? They, they made rock anthems and look how much harder they had to fight. And sorry to say, I think some of the Northeast bands were better musicians and just better bands than some of these LA bands that have lasted through time. I think a lot of it is nostalgia as opposed to maybe like, pure talent i mean if you go if you go to the thrash scene i mean overkill is one of my favorite bands of all time and they were out of new jersey and they are right up there talent wise with any of the big four that came out of of california you know uh, and they're still doing the same thing 40 45 years later mm-hmm. so still mm-hmm. making albums so well we have one more album to talk about um and then we're gonna have to make a decision my friends <laughs> on uh what album we're going to consider to be uh superior or at least the winner of this evening So, next up, we're going to talk about Slave to the Grind, uh, which was released by Skid Row June 11th, 1991. And, um, all right, let's start with some controversy. Matt, get ready. Steal yourself. Be prepared. Slave to the Grind is considered the first heavy metal album to chart at number one on the Billboard 200, selling 134,000 copies in its opening week. The album was later certified two times platinum um, in 1998 for shipping two million copies in the U.S. What do you think, Matt? (laughs) When was it released? 91? 1991. Didn't the Black Album debut at number one in 91? Did this come out before that? Uh, I don't think it debuted at number one, did it? Oh, it didn't? I don't know. I thought it did. Hmm. I don't know. But this came out before it anyway, by two months. Yeah. So this came out in June. Black Album came out in August. Maybe I'm wrong, but... (sighs) Wow. Well, that would still put it at first if it came out a couple months. True. Very true. Yep. Yeah. So, Matt... Just so you know, Britt, Matt, we have a history of Matt um, having a problem with bands that were considered heavy metal at the time versus what you <laughs> consider heavy metal now. Uh-huh. I, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, let's... I, yeah I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's 91. It's not like 81. So I don't understand. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you that what the term was used for a long time. We didn't have the subgenres 
just like rock. You had blues that was rock. You had, I mean, you know, rock and roll was fucking everything that wasn't what country and chorus music or something. So in 91, not to get in a rabbit hole here, obviously, but in 91, was grunge grunge? Or no, no not so that, yet. that term came later. Later, yeah. Later. That okay. was okay. That was was that ninety three? That started about the time that uh, Nirvana hit the scene, I think. Yeah, which I think was ninety one. It was ninety one. Okay. No. I don't know. The point is that you were you weren't putting that, that music time. into its own category, right? It was just rock music. I mean, it wasn't me, but it was what... Not you, but, you know. But category... I mean, you kind of called everything that was, like, harder than... I don't even know what to say. Like, what I we think harder say. than Van Halen at the time was probably metal. You know, but that's Van Halen was considered metal. Uh, oh, yeah. They I were consider called it hard metal. rock. Really? I do, too, but they were called... They were absolutely in the metal category at the time. Hmm. Definitely. Okay. I think people, like, thought long hair was metal. I agree. I was just gonna That's say fair. I think you had long yeah. Hair. Yeah. to do with yeah. the look. I think yeah. it's some you know, people hear with their eyes and it's like, I don't know, mom saw you know, skid row and they were like, Oh, metal, don't listen. I don't want my kids yeah. listening. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Come on, Tipper. Yeah. Tipper Gore was like, I'm slapping a label on that shit. Right. Oh. <laughs> Good old days of satanic panic. Oh god. That's such a great name for a band, Satanic Panic. And I would call my first album Tipper Gore and get <laughs> sued yes. blind, probably. <laughs> Maybe if I called it Tipper Gord. Ooh, even worse. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, we have Wagoner again um, on this album. This is a much heavier sound. And now <clears throat> there are critics. Get ready again, Matt that have said this was almost speed metal on some of the songs. <laughs> now, that's what I'm going to say. What the fuck are you talking about? What is almost speed metal? Like, I, I don't, don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. Almost, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're about five miles per hour too slow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So let's think about it this way. Before Metallica... Heavy metal was um, what? Black Sabbath. Black, yeah, Black Sabbath and what else? Judas um, Priest. Mm, yeah, I guess. Deep Purple. Yeah, Deep Purple. Like yeah, that yeah. was that was heavy metal. So then Metallica comes along. And they're like, oh, speed metal. But now, I would I would ask you. Listen to speed metal now and listen to Metallica. And no, I wouldn't even put them in not the current right? Metallica. <laughs> well, of course not current Metallica. But so I think yeah, I think we just have to stick with what yeah. it was considered at the time that it came out. I mean I got your point. Also, it takes a long time for entities to change their categories. The fact that there was a fucking heavy metal. Like they even had a category for a heavy metal album to chart, I think was a big fucking deal in 1991. You know, I mean, how long did it take for like the Grammys to even acknowledge oh, yeah. the heavy metal category? So I think that has a lot to do with it as well. But yeah, Britt, I agree with you. Long hair, playing rock music, it's metal. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this album's definitely heavier. It's definitely heavier and it seems like 
feels more like serious and less like, woohoo, youth gone wild, you know, and even the ballads are less like, you know, they're a little darker. It's getting a little darker. It's getting towards grunge a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It This got a lot of critical, really good critical reception, which I'm surprised. Um, <clears throat> they said that they thought the band had matured a bit. Um, they thought that, um, you know, they kind of, it was it looked like it was it was hit or miss right so either the critics were like this is a dud you know why didn't they make another skid row you know this is too serious and then others are like no this is good they've matured it's not this like they're not going like embracing this glam sound that's kind of over now um which i would agree with um but i think it was really interesting because you i read a lot of things about the the label was trying to get them to like have like half naked chick on you know on the cover of the album and like hot chicks on cars you know in a bathing suit crawling on cars and whatever in their videos they were like no fuck you this isn't about that shit this is about the real world man we're trying to say something man yeah Which, you know it's now it's kind of I'm sorry go ahead no no go ahead okay um this kind of mirrors what I've seen with some other bands around that time. Um, it's, it's a pattern where they they hit the scene. They're very popular. They uh, have like the party songs, the anthems. And then as time goes on, they start to really get, I don't know if it's be, they're becoming more serious musicians or what it is, but they start to get a little more introspective, a little more, um, start writing about more serious subject matter. Uh, Poison is a great example of this because um, you could see, like after the, you know, look what the cat dragged in, open up and say, ah, uh, then Flesh and Blood comes along in 1990, and they start. There are still some upbeat, fun songs on that album, but you know, you get um, songs like "The Valley of Lost Souls." Um, what else was on there? Uh, Poor Boy Blues, Something to Believe in. And they're starting to get into a little more serious subject matter. Um, and then, after you know, it, that's just an example of just to say that Skid Row is not the only band who this has happened to before. But um, this, is the, this album was fairly new to me. Um, I don't think I've ever listened to this, see, heard any of these songs on here before, aside from Wasted Time. Really? Wow. Surprisingly enough, uh, because I guess I was just so focused on um, their original album and then all the other bands that I listened to at the time that when this came out, you know, I just kind of overlooked it. So this was a very interesting listen for me. Um, the first time through, I was kind of wasn't really sure how I felt about it. Um I real, was really hooked by Monkey Business and Slave to the Grind right off the bat, like I'm sure any you know metalhead or rock band would be listening to this album, you know. And everything after that, it took me a few more listens, and I finally warmed up to it, and I really started to enjoy some of these other songs, like you know, the Threat, Quicksand, Jesus, Cycle Love. That for those first you know several songs in the list, um, I still kind of like. It kind of falls off a little bit towards the end, right before Wasted Time. Wasted Time was a, a freaking fantastic song. 
Um, but yeah, Riot Act almost seems a little bit punkish to me. Um, that was Sebastian Box. That's that's what he came from. Was yeah, mm-hmm. and Rachel too. Rachel's very yes. Yeah, but uh, overall, I think it's a, it's like I said. The more I listen to it, the more I, I'm into it. I don't still don't think I hold it in as quite as highest esteem as the uh, original Skid Row album, but but it is a good good album. I'll give it that. I think it's a really good album. It's definitely not you know, the self-titled album, but if you can separate it, I think it's hard to separate the two albums back to back from each other. If there was another album in between, you know, that could give you just like that bridge a little bit, like, okay, our style is changing. I love what you, mm-hmm. that you said that. That's, I think that's what makes it a lot more yeah. difficult. So I'm surprised it did as well as it did, but it's a, you know, I, I think people bought it and probably were at, first like oh this isn't like you know skid row but oh wow this is a great album because i think it's a fantastic album and funny story real quick um they started recording this album in late 1990 in fort lauderdale florida about a 10 minute drive from my grandparents house and i was down visiting and had a friend whose uh, boyfriend was a bouncer at one of this is back when the strip in Fort Lauderdale was the fucking strip. And, you know, every club had a hotel on top of it and whatever, you know, I can't remember which bar or club it was. Um, oh, you know, uh, Skid Row is staying here and they're they're going to they're having a party tonight in like the whatever room, you know. And she goes, oh, do you want to go? And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to go. <laughs> so um, wasn't quite, I wasn't of drinking age yet. No matter, I had my trusty fake ID um, <laughs> that I ironed, opened it up, changed the iron that back in the day when you could do that. <laughs> no holograms um, back then. Yeah, none of that <laughs> shit. So we get in, of course, her boyfriend gets us in, no problem. And uh, a couple of the guys had like were coming through like the main bar, and then we got into like the room where there was going to be, which also had a stage, the party or whatever. And um, so we're just having drinks, and we're kind of we're talking to people, and I don't I don't even remember what was going on. And all of a sudden, a fist fight <laughs> broke out, um, and apparently the band was involved like it was a whole thing i don't think they started it but it got it was a total mess and um i was like okay that's it i'm out of here and we took off so i never got to meet him so i missed my moment (laughs) but back to the album Britt, what do you think of this album um i love both of these albums but I think if I had to take one to a desert island, I would go with the self-titled album just because it's just continuous hit. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I love this one. I think I think when you have another album come out and it's a different sound from your initial album, I think it's, you know, accepted if you go a little heavier and you're a little more badass. But if they had gone the other way, I think it would have been less accepted. If they were more poppy and more cheesy, I think it would have been like, oh, they sold out, blah, blah, blah. And the true fans would just have left them. So I think um, even though they changed styles a little bit, I think it was right for the time. And I think it was the right move, you know, for their fans um, because it's still, you know, you can still 
drive a car to it. You can still play it at parties. You could still, um, but it's a little bit deeper um, lyrically and, and also musically. I think, you know, they, like you said, they grew and they, they developed more. They were used to playing together more knew they could do more with it. Um, so I really like them both. I love the ballads on this album. I love Quicksand Jesus and In a Darkened Room. I think they're mm. awesome. Um, yeah, and I agree with you, Ed. Monkey Business and Slave to the Grinder. Like, you can't deny those songs. They're awesome. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I, I really love both albums, but um, I got to go with the self-titled. Matthew? I love what you said, Seller, about that there you feel like there should be more progression between these two albums like there should be another album slotted somewhere in between self-titled and this one and i think that's just the fact that they were sort of straddling two different paradigm shifts we talked so much about mm -hmm. the 80s going into the 90s and how things were changing mm -hmm. and all the bands we've talked about that changed their sound and matured and grew um, like if self-titled was released a, even a year later, would it be as popular as it was being released in 89? We don't know. Um, it's all hindsight, right? But this is a very interesting album. Um, it is heavy, which I like. And I think Sebastian does have some progression as far as his vocals go and his writing go. They're, they were certainly going for a darker, more serious motif, if you will. And that's a quick jump from sort of the themes and the sound of the first album. But I think it has to do with the time. I mean, you're talking two years here, but so much had changed already. And you look at some of the albums that are released in 91, uh, some really big heavy hitters that they had to go up against, um, you know, even released later in the year. Uh, and to still go double platinum on this, I think is, is pretty amazing. I think it's pretty much off of the success of their first album and what they had carved out with that one. Um, but you know, to me, it's a pretty easy choice for me. I got to go with the self-titled album. I mean, it's just the hits are there and, um, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it. Not that this is, this is a great album too. It's different. It's very different. Uh, but it's the first album for me all day, every day. Interesting. So I, yeah. I totally agree with you, Matt. And we, we've discussed this several times on the show. This time period is a tough one. Anytime you have that bridge in between times in the world, I think albums can get caught in the middle of that. I mean, we had the fall of the Berlin Wall after their first album. We had a change in presidents. I mean, you know, um, we're beginning the, you know, we're beginning Desert Storm, you know, all of these things. I, I think that... I think it's tough because, you know, could they have done another Skid Row? I think they could have. Um, did they need to? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe this could have come out a year later. I, I think you need to progress, of course, as human beings and artists. I think often as listeners, we don't want fans to progress. I'm definitely in that camp. I want them to keep putting out the shit that I fell in love with, which is totally unfair. And I understand that. Um, but there it is, you know. Um, so I'm going to have to agree with all of you, even though this is a, on its own. This is a fan fucking tastic album. But I have to go with self-titled also. Wow, when's the last time we've had a unanimous uh, <laughs> agreement? It's been a while. <laughs> After the great white snake debacle. 
<laughs> which will forever go down in history. <laughs> I don't even remember what we were arguing about anymore. Oh, whether that uh, whether white snake is hair metal or not. Oh, right, right, right. And you were saying? I say they're they're definitely hair metal. And I disagreed. <laughs> but there you have it. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So I have to uh, shout out real quick about Michael yeah. Wagner. I'm doing, there's a, uh, in Nashville, if anybody listening to this is in Nashville, there is a jam, a Michael Wagner dedicated jam in the basement East on May 30th that I'm playing. And it's like a bunch of people that have played on his records and it's all songs from Wagner produced and engineered albums. Oh, oh that's wow. Awesome. Amazing. That's rad. That I was going to ask you, what do you have coming up next? So that's next. Our next show is at the end of the month in Nashville. We're doing a show called Creatures Fest with Vixen. It's like a convention. It's actually got an interesting lineup because it's got a lot of ex-KISS members. It's got Peter Chris. It's got Ace Fraley, Vinnie Vincent, what? Um, Bruce Kulick, all separately doing their own things. Um, and then a bunch of other bands, too. So that, that'll be interesting. And then, um, yeah, and that charity jam a couple days later. And, uh, and then we've got a very full June and July of tour dates in the States. And then hopefully fall, we've got some uh, European dates coming up in the works. And the cruise, oh, we just, I don't know if this is announced, but I don't know if we'll say this or not, but fuck it. Uh, <laughs> which uh, we've never done. We usually do Monsters of Rock all the time, which we're still doing, but but we will be on the Kiss Cruise this year too. So I'm excited about that. Awesome. And yeah. I'm checking your website right now to see if it's on the website. <laughs> it's not actually. I just got it in a text, so I, I shouldn't have Okay. That's okay. <laughs> we can take it out if we need to. No worries. That's Brit, we do. Britt, I have The to 80s ask. cruise? Oh, oh 80s no. cruise is a different one we're doing. Oh, okay. We're, That's we're next year. We're all over this year. Yeah. Oh, man. You guys are cruising. Yeah. There you go. And Britt, I have to ask you, because I asked you the last time you were on, and you kind of teased it a little bit, but any new Vixen material anytime soon you guys yes. still work okay we are in the midst of recording a new single i'm actually supposed to go in someday this week to lay my guitars down so oh, nice at least yes. a new single is going to be awesome awesome and it will be accompanied with music video so um we're excited about that and cool. uh, yeah Looking and then other than the vixen days i've just been we wrapped a really cool um you know i work for rock and roll fantasy camp as musical director and running some of the camps and I wanted to do a women's only camp because all the camps are so heavily, you know, male populated. And I was like, more women would come, I think, if we said it was only women. And it was so true. And we had a sold out camp and it was amazing. We had Melissa Etheridge, Nancy Wilson of Heart, um, Orianthe and uh, Kathy Valentine of the Go-Go's. And it was totally amazing. So, Sailor, I wish I wish you. We got to do, you got to come to the next one we have in Florida for sure. Oh, I would love to. I, I saw that picture. We should be and part like, of the next one. We should actually talk about this. Oh, that I would, that would be amazing. I would absolutely love that. That would be really cool. Yeah. Oh, just, I want to congratulate you on just being in the same photo with Nancy Wilson. Oh my gosh. I saw your photo. <laughs> one of my idols. Oh my gosh. She is Me too. Amazing. Me too. I was like, oh my gosh, Britt got to meet Nancy Wilson. I was so jealous. Oh, man. <laughs> it was so nice. I guess it's been like the whole day with her. It was incredible. Oh, yeah. that's yeah, so cool. Like, she yeah. is such a she badass. She's so, she's amazing. She is She's amazing. so cool. She's one of those people that I, I saw her walk by me in a casino once and uh, she just looked exactly like I expected. Like, what is it? What's the line in, um, oh, this is happening to me again tonight. Son of a bitch. True romance. 
And she's like, you're so cool. Their cigarette. <laughs> That's literally what I wanted to do when I saw her walk by. <laughs> she truly she is. Care about her. <laughs> she is so cool. She is so cool. Yeah. I love it. And folks, if you did not already pick up the latest issue of American Whiskey Magazine, <clears throat> I will find out. My girl right here has got a spread in the magazine, that is. And yes. uh, that was so fun. Um, my editor was so fucking thrilled. And uh, I said, okay, we're going to have her, we got to have her come back again. Because I do this thing where we try to talk about, I don't even know, we still don't even know how to explain it and what to call it. But um, there, there's a piece at the end of the magazine with Nicole Austin um, from George Dickel. And um, we talk about cocktails and we're trying to talk to like people who, you know, what's the math behind a cocktail? Basically, is there math behind a cocktail like or deciding what cocktail you give to a certain person? So we'll have to have you do that next. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you for having me on that. I love that article. I know uh, a lot of people that I know bought it and subscribed yeah. to the magazine now. So hopefully, yeah. That was awesome. Fun. Thank you. Awesome. The the photos they chose were great too. What they chose one of my favorite photos of you for it. So I was I was really happy with with how it came out. It was really cool. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Love it. Absolutely. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. And uh, I'm looking at your your dates here. And uh, my husband and I are going to be doing a little traveling finally in July. So maybe we'll maybe we'll be near each other at some point. Um, but do let me know next time you're in Florida and I will, I'll do whatever it takes. I will drive. I will walk. <laughs> I will fly. I'll Absolutely. ride a bike. Absolutely. That'd be fun. <laughs> Same awesome. goes for you guys. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, get us out of here. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you as always for tuning in, listening. Thank you, Brit. As always, always great to have you on. Such a pleasure. Um, and Hopefully everyone enjoyed the show and uh, tune in next time. You can find us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey, on Twitter at Metal Whiskey. You can find me right down here right there, at Iconic Dad 24-7 on Instagram. R.I.P. Whiskey Obsessor. R.I.P. Whiskey Obsessor, yeah. It's, uh, it's time for a change. Change is good. <laughs> Sailor. Oh, me. Uh, I'm Sailor Guevara. You can find me all over the internets uh, doing the things and the stuff and uh, subscribe to American Whiskey Magazine, please. So they keep paying me to write about shit, which is super fun. And um, yeah, I do a lot of stuff that you can find out on my on my websites. And if you're in uh, the Treasure Coast of Florida, you can come by my bar now called the Mermaid Bar. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Britt, what about you? Where can they find you? Okay. You can find me at Britt Lightning on Instagram and that's pretty much the only one I use. So just stick with that. And, uh, dates at BrittLightning.com or VixenOfficial.com. Don't just type in Vixen.com because that will take you straight to an awesome porn site, but if you want the <laughs> and if you want to find out more about Rock Camp, you can go to RockCamp.com. Yes, right. please go find out more about Rock Camp, you guys, truly. I expect you all to go right now, right now while you're listening, clickety-clack, clickety-clack, and then there will be a test next week. <laughs> I love it. Okay, and like Britt 
said. Um, I can also be found on Instagram as well. And unlike her, I think probably the reason you can only find me on Instagram is that that's all they have the attention span for is one social <laughs> media. So that's at Bergman Geek. I didn't mention that. Uh, so yeah, thanks for joining us for this episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey, and we will see you again on the next one. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. See you. Fuck you, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I love you more.